the fact of the matter is that for as long as there has been you know homo sapiens there has been art you know whether it was people putting their hands on the face of a cave you know 40,000 years ago um, so it's an inescapable need it is a need it's definitely a need and in that sense I would never be apologetic about about the arts <laughs> Welcome to Arts Engines. I am your host, Aaron Dworkin, and today we have with us Marshall Marcus, who is not only CEO, but also Secretary General of the European Youth Orchestra, as well as the International Youth Foundation. Marshall, welcome. Aaron, thanks so much. Always a pleasure to see your smiling face. Oh, it's so great <clears throat> to see you. So great to see you. So why don't we kind of just delve right in? How are things at EYO right now? And, and how mm. are you kind of managing? What are you finding kind of are the biggest challenges? So I would say the headline with the European Union Youth Orchestra is that actually we're fine. Um, it's a huge disappointment that we couldn't get together for one of our big uh, residences and tours through Italy and Austria in March, April. But in fact, I think we've found ourselves into the next step of this extraordinary, whatever you want to call it, I'm going to call it adventure, um, which is a way of working. And actually, we've established a new digital operation and we've, we've, we've found all sorts of new things uh, which we are helping to give our players some value during this very challenging time. So, you know, I think the headline is challenging, but actually rather interesting as well. All right. So kind of delving into that a little bit, the, you know, it seems like there's, you know, a lot of organizations where transitioning their lessons, any one-on-one -on -one interaction teaching was relatively easy. They do a Zoom or, or something like that, but that ensembles have been having a much difficult, more uh, challenging time. Yeah. What, what have you found and, and how are you guys addressing that? I, I think that's right, Aaron. I mean, the way we approached this was to say, let's not pretend we're going to rehearse and perform in the usual way, but it'll just be an incredibly low quality because that's all you can get. Let's actually look at other things. And I think for me, the big breakthrough and the most interesting thing was the conversations ahead of the digital residency that we had with our tutors who were saying, well, um, how am I going to teach 18 first violins together or whatever it would be? And the answer is, it's a kind of, you have to feel your way. And we, we brought in a whole new area to our operation, which is well-being. Because I, I actually sat and I thought about this and I decided, you know what? This is basically a relationship exercise. This is not about pretending that we can still perform you know, Mahler's Fourth Symphony, but we'll do it online. It's actually about making contact with all our players around Europe in the 27 EU countries plus the UK for this year and saying, what are their needs? And we didn't even actually have to answer that question consciously because what was happened was I, I would peek into these sectional workshops going on and, and the tutors with their players would basically 
they were discovering what is the new territory, what should we talk about? You know, one day they decided to look at a solo from Nutcracker, I think it was, sweet. And, you know, one player volunteered to go off and play it online, put it onto a YouTube, and the next day they all discussed it, you know, and we had extraordinary moments. I remember one of, one of the sessions, one of the players was asked to play a solo and, and did that, and somebody put into the chat, they said, my God, that's a great fingering. I'll pay you 20 euros for the fingering. You know, and so I think, you, you know, you 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 become, ex I, the word I think I used was explorer, you become explorers in a new landscape, and you focus in on, on the areas that you can really deal with valuably. And, you know, talk actually became really important. Awesome. And, and so as you see some of this exploration going on, when things quote unquote return to normal or when there are you know live concerts regularly do you think you'll be kind of returning to normal or do you think that some of these things that have been the results of these explorations will stay do you think you'll kind of have a, a new normal what are you projecting out so i i guess we're in the new abnormal at the moment that's where it started and that's going to carry on in different ways for quite a while, we, we think. We will eventually get back to what you've just said. You know, we'll get back to a new normal. We'll get to a new normal. And I think that the value is going to be how you fold back the learnings from the present period into that new situation, because that's going to be yet another thing. I mean, I've been talking to conductors who are saying, well, you know, one school of thought is, well, we'll start going again in whenever it will be, but actually who's gonna to want to go to a concert? Actually, people have got out of the habit of going to a concert. They'll want to do other things. Um, and then there's the school of thought, which is they'll be flocking back when they think it's safe because we need that live experience together. Um, and the one thing that I think will definitely remain for us as we get back to whatever that new landscape looks like the the new learnings in the digital area will carry through I, I have no doubt about that i think you know as many people are saying the one thing we're not ever going to do is to return back to how it actually was in the past exactly wow yeah so kind of uh, flipping gears a little bit to kind of look at, at your overall kind of you know career trajectory as a leader and you know, mm -hmm. time in Venezuela or leaving music at South Bank and, and now at EYO. Um, obviously, certainly my sense is that there's been a strong thread about commitment to young people and the role of the arts for young people. But as you've looked at managing different systems in our field, right, and one of the things we want to do as a, as a show is to kind of talk about how we operate the engine of the arts on an international basis. Um, what kind of insights have you, uh, you know, kind of brought, what have you come out with in terms of key things that are important for arts leadership that were similar in your different capacities that you've had? Good question. Um, I think for me, it always begins in the same way. It starts with what I call the fire in the center you have to be driven by something and uh, it's a matter of you know what is that the core what are the core things that don't change and, and that, that in your the mission of the organization that you're with where where do you marry that mission what's you and that mission together and then you know you have a confidence about how you're leading 
the the mission of the organization and you know everything I do is um, I try to be driven by this idea of the servant leader um, I remember one an arts leader who I have a huge amount of respect for I remember seeing her do a, a keynote talk a few years ago and she said something at the beginning like you know my my job today is and it's that kind of thing which is it's not about you or me it's about the values of the mission and you are a servant of that and I think that has to you know hopefully that pushes through everything you do and so you know in terms of leadership that's a that's a common thing which is take the fire of the organization and be a servant to taking it on I mean I'm um, I'm, I'm an Aquarius sign, uh, my, my zodiac sign, and not that I do or I don't think much about those things, but I know Aquarius is the water carrier. So I think for all leaders, the really, to me, the really great leaders are the ones who the, they carry and they enable something to happen. Um, and that's, that's one of the big drivers. And, and that allows you, I, I hope, that allows you also to harness the value of the team. I mean, the team is the second family. And that's, you know, we talk about leaders, but actually how much can you enable your team to be leaders? That's that's a big kind of thing with me. I don't know if that answers any of your Absolutely. Kind of questions. No, I think in many of these core aspects, especially the idea of servant leadership, which I have certainly seen the people who are the most successful and most sustainable leaders of institutions are ones that seem to have some version of the idea of who they serve, their teams, their constituents, rather than saying, you know, I'm a big leader, people do what I say kind of thing. Um, so absolutely. As you think about, you know, kind of people, whether it's uh, young people in the field really just starting out or those even leaders themselves out there, are there kind of, you know, this I think I'm asking now in the interviews of, are there three things? What three things would you say would be most important if you were to say, try to incorporate these as you further your goals, as you try to achieve your goals? Well, I was, I mean, I think about that question maybe in the context of um, where we are now, uh, where we all are now, which is a radical place for everybody. And, you know, one of my guiding lights at the moment is, of course, we're all trying to survive or help our institutions to survive. But actually, and, and there are, you know, this is an extraordinary threat, which is there. It does vary from institution to institution, depending on what, what you're doing. But to me, the big thing I would say at the moment is you have to look after the threats, but please don't forget to look after, look at the opportunities. I mean, I have to say there's a kind of schizophrenic period at the moment, which is you have all these challenges, but actually I feel that I'm running on this amazing adrenaline because there's so much change around. And so long as you are um, minded to, to kind of embrace change at this stage, then, and look for opportunity, then I think that's, that's a huge, it's a, you know, that's, I think that's where the winners will come out in the end is, you know, who's, who has been, the most smart at seeing what are the new opportunities so that's one thing um i think another thing it, i come back to the way i was talking about the team that you work with you know if you're in a, an organization and i think one of the big things i think is interesting at the moment is how can this current situation be used to help 
you know, trigger the development of somebody or some people in your team. Because this new situation will also give others opportunity, and I think that's the great role. You know, it is. If the team's working well, then so are, are you. And I was just thinking, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking even one particular person I know for whom this current area is just a huge opportunity. And so, you know, with everybody, it's the question of how can this be used for the team to help people move on to the next step of, of what they're doing. Um, uh, you asked for three things. Um, I'm reminded. I'm reminded of a saying of uh, Maestro Jose Antonio Abreu, who you know began and guided the the El Sistema movement, and he had lots of little pithy sayings. But one of his sayings that I always remember is I can't even remember where I was sitting in a hotel in Paris when he told me. He said, "The short term is the enemy of the long term." And, and I think that's a very powerful thing, which is, you know, we're all wading through the kind of toffee of now, which is, you know, all this stuff we have to deal with. But actually, keep, keep your view on where your long term is. And if that has to change now, then it changes. But, but be, don't, don't, drown in the, don't drown in the present. Wow. You know, contextualize the present. Absolutely. Absolutely, and sometimes difficult to do when the weight. Uh, it's the most. Actually, it's the most. I always used to say, you know, I spend from eight thirty to nine thirty in the morning putting the world in order, and then from nine thirty the world kicks back, and <laughs> that's like a day in the office. So, um, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm forever trying to escape from the necessary present, and you have to deal with that because if you don't, you have a big disaster tomorrow. But it's always making space for tomorrow. Right. Right. Wow. And I do actually, I'm definitely going to think about that trying to escape from the necessity of the present. That's, uh, that, that. that sticks with me. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. as, as you think about, you know, kind of, again, your role as a leader that oftentimes, uh, obviously you have to, uh, project out the importance of the organization you represent, but in a more broader terms, the importance of the arts. So mm -hmm. we're faced with times like this, where there are so many challenges, economic challenges, and you know uh, what people see as a lot of core human needs. Some would argue potentially the arts are, of course, a, a human need. Um, but how do you find, um, and/or what would you recommend the best ways to make the case for the importance of the arts when people say, "But we need healthcare and food and shelter and these other things." Yeah. Again, it's a very good question that, you know, let's be honest, um, if you, I, I always use the example, if you were um, in Syria today, if you were a Syrian who's under bombardment, you know, in the middle of a civil war, in a terrifying situation where there's death all around you and, um, and suffering, real suffering, then you're not going to be thinking about the arts and I wouldn't be making a case for it, actually. Um, the question is, where is that line where survival is so vital that, you know, you will do anything for a loaf of bread, actually? And I think we have to be aware that, you know, most of us, I certainly haven't, most of us have never lived through that kind of situation. So there is that line below which actually there is no case to be made. But I think that line is quite low down, you know, if there was a graph of, the, of humanity. And the fact of the matter is that for as long as there has been you know, homo sapiens, there has been art. You know, whether it was people putting their hands 
on the face of a cave, you know, 40,000 years ago. Um, so it's an inescapable need. It is a need. It's definitely a need. And in that sense, I would never be apologetic about, about the arts. Um, the, you know, how do you make that case? Well, the case is very simple, which is that, you know, when we've been through tough times, you, you, have to, you have to fall back on something which helps give you sustenance. Now, sustenance means enough money to buy food and it means a place to put your head. And once you have those two, you need culture and you need art. And, you know, I was actually thinking a while ago when you were asking the question about three things that are important. The, the one, oh, the, my fourth, which I didn't give, was, was this idea that don't forget to make time for yourself. You know, I sometimes I go in the room next to here and I sit down and I have a book on Japanese gardens, which is one of my great loves. And that's what does it for me. So if things are getting too much, I can, you know, that's my elsewhere, to quote the poet Larkin. Um, but I think, you know, people need that. So how we present that art, what's the forum, what's the platform, what's the device, what's the level of participation for others? These are all massive questions. But I think we do all have to keep making that case. And I think it's, a, you know, it's one I don't have any doubt about. You know, if I go back to, say, the 2008 um, nine financial crash, I, you know, I was then at Southbank Centre and we were talking about this. And, you know, the phrase for us was now more than ever. Huh. And I, I think that is the thing. You're either, either you're a paid up member, you believe in the arts club or you don't. And if you do, you're willing to go out and proselytize for the importance of it because you see in all sorts of people, in all sorts of situations, how culture and arts gives value, especially when financial value is difficult to find. That's the beginning of my answer. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, a big question that we have to, we have to, give a, we, have to we have the responsibility of giving a persuasive answer to that question. It may be your most important question this afternoon. Yeah. And, and do you feel that the, the burden of that responsibility to, to do that advocacy is primarily on leaders or others in our field? Or who do you think should be the, the carrier of that message? Well, I mean, I'm a great believer that there was a, a guy called Chris Smith, who was the Minister of Culture in the UK. And I went to talk he did many, many years ago. And he said something I've never, ever forgotten. He said, leadership should exist in every part of your organization. And I think that goes for society as a whole. I mean, you know, I remember last year when I, we had brought the orchestra together for the first time for the year. And I sent a message out saying there are a lot of new people this year. Are there any, is there anybody who heard last year who'd like, you know, players who would like to talk to the orchestra about what the EUIO means to them? And a, a girl came forward uh, to talk about, you know, she said, I'll talk about that. She gave the most inspiring talk you've ever heard in your life. You know, I mean, everybody's capable of doing this. How we maneuver it so the right people are talking. You know, I see all sorts of people who are unbelievably articulate and, I would not like to have to try to make the case that those who you are putting in this leadership group are the ones who will necessarily be the most persuasive with the greatest rhetoric. You know, it, it's whatever works. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Marshall, Marcus, you are truly one of the great arts engines in our field. Thank you so much for joining us today. Aaron, thank you so much. It's always, it's always a pleasure.